We've been in a series called Encounters with Jesus. And we've been looking at different characters in the Bible and how they were transformed when they met Jesus. The first person we met was Bartimaeus. And we met a woman who anointed Jesus before he was about to enter Jerusalem. Both of these people were considered outcasts. They were unwelcomed and they were judged harshly by the community. But their encounters with Jesus left them transformed from the inside out. Bartimaeus, who threw off his cloak to run after Jesus, because finally someone said, You matter. Someone finally saw his value. And then there was the woman who anointed Jesus at Simon the leper's home who heard her Savior say, Well done, good and faithful servant. He rebuked her critics right there in that moment. Had to be incredible for her. What we see in these two stories is our own value before God, our own purpose in praising him and giving him our all. The third character we learned from was Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector who was not very well liked by the community around him. Yet, his encounter with Jesus brought him to a place of forgiveness. It's important to note In all three of these stories, our first two characters, they approached Jesus. Bartimaeus called out to Jesus in desperation. The woman who anointed Jesus was an act of worship. But Zacchaeus, he stood back. He climbed a tree to see Jesus. But the contact, the actual encounter was initiated by Jesus himself. Jesus was looking to be forgiving that day. And so what we see in Zacchaeus' story is the end result of acts of kindness, of a love that displayed itself as acceptance and forgiveness. Because in biblical times, when you had a meal with somebody in their home, you were saying that you accepted them. That's why the Pharisees got so angry. Because when Jesus ate with the sinners, it was offensive to their own holiness. But Jesus' act of acceptance towards Zacchaeus led him to repentance. It was Jesus' forgiveness that led to Zacchaeus' salvation. I kind of have this image of Zacchaeus his transformation was kind of like the Grinch in Dr. Seuss's story. Here you have this grumpy little man nobody liked. And yet, in one act of kindness, when Jesus went to his home and had dinner with him, he was so overcome, he was so overwhelmed, that his heart grew three sizes that day. 
his heart just filled up. It just overflowed with the love of Christ. And it was just so big. He couldn't help but just share it with everybody. He gave away half his wealth. And he paid back to those he cheated. He paid back four times as much as he stood, that he took from them. As Zacchaeus changed his ways, the people around him took notice of Jesus' encounter with him. It's in the recognition of a person's worth and value. It's in the acts of love that we do that will lead them like a link in a chain to the salvation of Jesus. But on a more personal note, when we look at our own encounters with Jesus, are we abandoning all in our desperation to follow Jesus the same way Bartimaeus did? Are we sacrificing and giving our all in acts of worship and praise to our king like the woman who anointed him at Simon's home? Are we accepting Jesus' forgiveness for our sinful past and moving forward in our new life in ways that lead others to take notice? One other similarity about our stories that we've heard so far is that each of them took place in front of a crowd. Yet the characters themselves were so focused on Jesus in that moment that even though the encounter was public, it was also incredibly personal. In tonight's message, our character is the crowds, the massive crowds that came to see Jesus during Passover. We're going to start our reading tonight in the 11th chapter of Mark, starting in verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple courts. He looked around, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. There are 11 events in Jesus' ministry that are mentioned in all four Gospels. Eight of those events took place in the final days of Jesus' life. So that tells us this is important. Pay close attention to what happens. Now, all important events need some kind of preparation. So Jesus, at the beginning of our reading, 
he asked two of his disciples to go ahead to Jerusalem and get him a colt to ride on. Now, as we read this, we kind of, well, why do we need to know all the details of the donkey? Why does it matter that he asked two disciples to go into town? We know the whole conversation. Why? Just to get a donkey. And all four Gospels record the entire conversation. Couldn't they have just summed it up with, they got the donkey for Jesus? Sounds easy enough. Here's why the conversation matters. Because sometimes in life, Jesus just wants us to get the donkey. A short time before this, the disciples, James and John, went to Jesus and made a request. Can we sit at your right and left hand in glory? They were looking, they were expecting and hoping for a big reward. Their hope was to do big and glorious things with Jesus. But God expects our obedience even in the humdrum, everyday things of life, not just the big stuff. Now, these two disciples aren't even named. We don't know who they were. But God's in the details of our lives. He's in the mundane, and his plan is always at work. Sometimes our hopes and Jesus' plans, they don't line up quite right. Sometimes he just asks us to get the donkey. No recognition, no accolades, just obedience. And then we have to ask ourselves, do we still trust him? Are we going to remain obedient? When we're obedient in those menial tasks of life, that's when he prepares us for the next step. You see, Jesus knew what was in the days ahead for the disciples. He knew how important it was going to be for them to remember this moment of obedience. Are we going to step into God's work around us? Or are we too busy focusing on the big stuff that we completely miss his work in our lives? So now here we are. The disciples have brought the donkey. They've laid their cloaks on it. Jesus is sitting on it. And he's heading into Jerusalem. Now I gotta, I have to give you the context of, of this moment. Passover was the biggest celebration for the Jews. Once a year, they celebrated, and every male within a 15-mile radius of Jerusalem was expected to come back to Jerusalem for the Passover. There's a historian, Josephus, he's a Jewish historian, and he has recorded back in 60 AD that there were approximately 2 million people in Jerusalem for the Passover. To put that into perspective, New Year's Eve, December 31st, 2015, in Times Square, there's a million people there. So when we say 2 million people in the city of Jerusalem, we are talking massive crowds of people. And Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is in the context of this massive amount of people. It was no accident. 
It was all prophesied. Zechariah 9.9 says it this way. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. This moment was over 400 years in the making. Generations had heard this verse repeated over and over. They knew this prophecy by heart. They were waiting for their Messiah to come and usher in a whole new kingdom. We can only imagine that level of anticipation, that level of excitement and hope that was in the city that day. Even just in this room tonight, when we had our palm branches, there was an excitement here for us of that sharing, that praising God. Imagine two million people expecting their king, their Messiah. They had heard about this king, this Messiah. He had done miracles, he had cast out demons. The blind could now see, the lame could walk, thousands had been fed, and now this king was coming. What was he going to do next? As Jesus approaches the city, people begin laying their cloaks down before him and palm branches at his feet, just as they had done for all the kings before that entered Jerusalem. But this king rode in on a donkey. A sign of humility and peace. Because this king was the prince of peace. This king rode on a colt that had never been ridden before. Because this king had authority over very creation. The crowds, they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna meant safe now. They were waiting, waiting for him to come in. And it was just right being people there. He could start a revolution. They were waiting for the establishment of a new kingdom. They were anticipating, they were hoping that he was going to overthrow the Roman government. And that he would begin to rule in the line of David. But you see, their hope was misplaced. Their hope was not really in Jesus at all. Their hope was in their own expectation of what they thought he would do. They were so blinded by the hope of what they wanted, they completely missed the hope that was right before them. In Luke's account of this story, he says that Jesus wept as he approached the city. Chapter 19, verse 41 says this. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. Jesus knew that they were hoping for a warrior king to overthrow the Roman authority. He knew that they were hoping for a revolution in the streets of Jerusalem that would set them all free. But 
because they were focused on their own hopes and their own expectation, they were blinded to God's work. Because Jesus was there to start a revolution, but a revolution in the heart of man, not in the streets of Jerusalem. The joy and peace the Jews were hoping for was standing right before their eyes, and they missed it. They missed that in order for Jesus' kingdom to be established on earth, he had to first rule in their hearts. The revolution had to start in the soul of man before it could manifest itself in the world. What they couldn't understand was that this king from Nazareth was here to set them free, but set them free from their bondage to sin and set them free from the consequences of their sinful nature. They were so caught up in what they wanted and what they expected that they felt their hopes were crushed. That's when they became angry. And the same people who praised him, who laid down their cloaks for him, who shouted, Hosanna in the highest, were the same people that just a few short days later said, Crucify him! Crucify him! Even the disciples who had walked with Jesus for three years had lost their hope. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asked them, begs them, stay awake and pray with me. And they fall asleep. And after he's arrested, they scatter and hide. Where's your hope today? Is it in the promise of a Savior to save you from your sins? Is it in the hope of a Lord that rules in your heart and transforms you from the inside out? Or is your hope in a king that frees you from the punishment of sin so that you can keep on living your life the way you want? Is your hope in a cosmic gift giver that you want to deliver all good things, taking away the sickness and the hardship and the struggles of life? Each of us needs to ask ourselves, what does our hope in Jesus really mean? Are we expecting things from Jesus that he never even promised us? He did promise us a hard life. He said, in this world you will have trouble. Are we in the crowd? Are we cheering and shouting, Hosanna in the highest to Jesus, only to shout, crucify him, crucify him, a little bit later? When we don't get what we want. When we don't, when life doesn't happen the way we expect. Where's your hope? Because the world's going to take notice. Romans 15, 13 says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. As we look to Jesus as our Lord, as our Savior, without placing our own expectations on him, but allowing him complete control of our lives, it's a hope fulfilled. It's a hope that overflows and spills out to those around us. And that's when the revolution takes place. 
that's when the worldly kingdom gets overthrown and Jesus' kingdom is ushered in, one heart at a time. I've shared the Panera Bread story a couple weeks ago. And after that experience... I decided to try Starbucks. And so I went to Starbucks several weeks ago. And this time I decided to do a pay it forward. And so I had left a gift card at the cashier, the Starbucks in Weston. And I asked the cashier and the manager, I said, can you just cover as many people as you can that come after me? And they said, why are you going to do that? No one's ever done that. Because I want people to know that they matter. And I sat outside with my little sign that said, Need Prayer. And I had several people come up to me. But there was one woman in particular that came out of Starbucks in tears. And she said, Are you the one? Are you the one that paid for my drink today? I said, Yes, my church you know, we want you to know that you matter. And she said, you have no idea how much that means to me today. She said, I so needed, I needed that so much, you have no idea. And I said, well, can I pray for you? And she said, yes, yes, my name is Deb. I I can't go, but thank you so much. And she, she took off. So I've been praying for Deb. But last week, there was a note that came to our church from a woman named Deb, and I want to read it to you. Dear Pastor Doty and congregation, I am writing to express my sincere gratitude for your thoughtfulness and true compassion for others. Last week, I visited the Starbucks Coffee in Weston. I have been having a very difficult time in my life and had truly given up on humanity as a whole. When I went to pay my bill for my tea, the cashier told me that your congregation had purchased a gift card to pay for the drinks of several patrons. I went over to the young lady to say thank you and explain to her how her one act of kindness meant more to me than she could ever imagine. To my surprise, she not only accepted my thank you, but went on to ask me if she could pray for me. Just remembering her kindness still brings tears to my eyes. I want to thank you for reminding me that there are still good people in the world. May God bless all of you. Deborah. This, this is what church is about. This is outreach. This is going out there and saying, you matter. You matter. You matter. It's telling people one-on-one, when you see someone just off to the side, when you see them off to the side and they're down and out, and you go up to them and you say, how can I help you? You matter to Jesus. You matter to me. How can I help you? That is the revolution. That is how we build a church, and that is how we're going to love in a way that matters and make a difference out there. That's the only way we're going to make it happen. So you have to ask yourself tonight, where is your hope? Is your hope in your expectations of what Jesus needs to do for you? Or is your hope in the Lord and Savior that's controlling you? 
that has complete control over your heart, your life, your thoughts, your minds, so that you can go out there and you can share it with the rest of the world. Because that's what this is all about. That's what this whole week is about. This holy week is all about our Savior. The fact that He loved us so much. He died. He was crucified. He was tortured on a cross. Just so He could rise again. That's what this is all about. Holy Father. Holy, Holy Father. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your conviction of our souls. I pray that we go into this week, Father, praising you, exalting you, laying those palm branches at your feet. But not for ourselves, Father. May we exalt you. May we praise you for those that don't even know you yet. Those that are beyond these walls. That we need to tell about you. That need to know that there's a Savior that loves them and cares about them. Holy Father. I thank you for the hope we have in Jesus. I thank you for the forgiveness we have in Jesus. Thank you for the life that is available to us through Jesus. And in his precious name, amen.